Who knows? All right, let's pray and let's go. Men will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit at the table of the kingdom of God. Luke 13, 29. That's Epiphany is kind of winding down, so you get the end of Epiphany kind of talk. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you call Gentiles to enter the fellowship of your Son, Jesus Christ, and you want all people to be saved. Grant, we beg you, that the voice of your word goes to every land, that your gospel is proclaimed to every creature, and that every nation come to thank and serve you through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, good. Um, I have no idea what Pastor Nelson was doing, and I probably won't see him. He takes this baby thing really seriously. He's going to disappear. What? Yeah, he's on maternity leave. He is. I won't, I, he won't, I won't get, I won't get a complete sentence out of him for another 10 days. So I have no, which is fine. That's great. I mean, he's, he takes the, I mean, he's, I, who knows what he's doing right now. So, um, I don't exactly know what you've been doing, but maybe we should just, I know you, I know, I know you've been prayer. I have no idea what he said to you. So I'm just going to carry on and then you'll say at some point, well, that doesn't quite match up. And then my great defense will be, that's okay, because everything I'm going to give you is stolen. Now, help me remember, was anybody with, at, at Arcadia last summer with Kleinig? So you're going to hear the same thing, and you will vouch for the fact that this is utterly stolen. However, even as I read it again this morning, I've read this four times since we've been at Arcadia. It's genius every time I read it. So I won't be able to do what, so, what he did, but I'll give you his stuff because it's such a different take. If anything goes wrong, that's my fault. And if anything is wonderful, um, that would be his fault. And so now I've got to make a mental note to, uh, he's coming back next fall, and we want to uh, see if we can invite him here. So um, if you'll bear with me, you too, but it shouldn't hurt you too badly. And you can, you can, you know, sort of, you've had a chance to think about this, so you can you sort of chime in any way you want. Um, but it's the benefit of thinking about it from an Old Testament perspective. Okay, everybody okay? Everybody got a handout? Utterly his. I just copied him and gave you. Um, and I'm going to tell you what I can remember about what he said. Um, I'll sort of give it to you in chunks, sort of the first big bullet point. Um, how to work together with Christ. Now, here's the thing. This is one of the, every once in a while, somebody comes in and puts on their serious face and has a talk with me. And they say, oh, I'm just not sure you're Lutheran. This is, this is, I'm just not sure you're, I said, well, why would that be? Well, we don't hear enough about the forgiveness of sins. Um, we don't hear enough about, about law and gospel. We especially don't hear the law. That's been, a, we've had a vicar who, when he wrote up his report, um, back to the seminary. They always write up a report, and I'd never read them because I have enough pain in my life. But I do uh, sometimes, of course, it's always, it always comes back to you around another way. So for, there was a couple of years after one of the vicars went back that nobody gets the law at St. John. So I'm thinking, I sort of took that as a compliment. Um, so, uh, you know, here's the thing. So we, I always probe that. I always uh, well, don't you remember that you're baptized and got your sins forgiven in the name of the Father? And, uh, well, how about confession and absolution? Isn't that forgiveness? And then there's always a gospel reading where Jesus is doing something nice to people. And you can say the creed, isn't that? This is, what about the Our Father? Forgive us our trespasses. So you sort of run people through. And part of the, part of the deal that people don't understand is um, it's the old Lutheran thing, which I pray goes away, you know, that forgiveness is the last step rather than the first step. That being saved is the last step rather than the first step. You still hear it sometimes. And it's easy to do because it's, there's ins and outs and there's us and them. And, and besides that, if it's all about the gift and you're forgiven, you can go over and do what the hell you want, right? 
You just go on out there and do whatever you want, and other people don't matter, and the poor don't matter, and your prayers don't matter, nothing matters. Well, of course, that is an utter aberration of what Luther was about and what Lutherans are about. And so, um, you know, part of the breakdown is to destroy things that are aberrant. And so, you know, it's always nice when I, you know, when I talk with John and he comes back and he's, you know, the first thing he says, you know, um, is that you get to cooperate with Jesus. And we always, when we hear cooperation talk, it's a little like hearing change talk in the Eucharist. People immediately, they get all nervous. Well, if there's no change in the Eucharist, then it's just bread and wine and you're not getting forgiven there. Something has to change, like Jesus coming down to the altar. In the same way, once you get forgiven, you know, you're changed. And so, you know, my favorite verse of the last couple of weeks, I said this in Bible study, I, you know, 2 Corinthians 4.11, where it says that the flesh and blood of Jesus be manifest in your flesh and blood. It's a genius thing that the flesh and blood of Jesus is manifest, revealed, expressed in your flesh and blood so that Jesus' life is, you know, it comes down here and hits young Callagher here and then splashes out over everybody else, that his flesh and blood, boom, put into you, you know, at the Eucharist, splashes out over everybody else. It's part of what Paul means when he says, I carry the wounds of Jesus in my body. You carry the Eucharist around, not just for you, I'm saved and who cares about anybody else, but that it comes to you and it splashes out in all circumstances, whether you're healthy, whether you're sick, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're struggling, whether you're not, that it splashes out all over the place. So, um, you know, redemption is the gift of Jesus Christ. But after that, and this is very, very important, we work together with Christ. And I've said this to you in a dozen ways over the years. You may be the last person from whom, you may be the last and best chance for the people you meet on the street. They maybe can't hear the gospel from anybody else. So you are the gospel to people. And your whole life is meant to be this cooperation. We talk about this not because, so I'm going to give you the straight Lutheran stuff here, not because of us, you know, we're totally ruined, but because the Holy Spirit is in us. It's the creed who calls, gathers, enlightens, tells you what comes next, and sanctifies, which means he hallows you and pushes you out into the world. You live a holy life in the world, you see? It's right there in the, in the, in the catechism. Even as he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the church on earth, he hallows it and pushes it on out, okay? So your whole life, this is why you get so much talk here about how you live your life. One is because that's where most of you are. The Gospels tell the story of Jesus. The whole rest of the New Testament is about how you live your life. You know, that, and that belongs to us, too. The pastoral epistles are about the nuts and bolts of trying to live together. How do we live together? How do we live out in the world? Everything from James, if you see somebody hungry and you just say, be warm and be filled. Somebody's cold and hungry outside today and you say, be warm and be filled, go in the name of Jesus. Without giving them food, without giving them a coat, you haven't done the will of Jesus, Right? Or First Peter, you used to live in darkness, now you live in light. Your old friends make fun of you, but you, you've seen something new. And so you conform yourself to the image of Christ. So the most Lutheran thing is the most Pauline thing, is the most Christ-like thing, is the most churchly thing, is to let the flesh and blood of Jesus be manifest, revealed in you, in your own flesh and blood. You're Jesus' hands and feet and tongue and eyes in the world. And that is the most, you know, you cannot separate 
sanctification from justification. The justification, I'm not too concerned. I'm really not concerned, I'll just be honest with you, I'm really not concerned, except for a couple of cases, that anybody who comes to church on Sunday is going to hell. That's really not your issue. And if you're in this Bible study, your issue, I mean, I can look around, you haven't bought friends who are pagans or anything, so looking around at you, your issue is not that you're going to hell. That's not your issue. So let's work on what your issue is. Living together as a family, living in kindness, living in service to other people, being merciful, and now for a couple of weeks at least, saying your prayers. Does that make sense? And prayers, this was the great Kleinig insight, prayer is one of the great places where you get to cooperate with Jesus. It's so much fun. I mean, it just is like that you would talk and that Jesus would listen and that Jesus would talk to his Father about you. Your life can't get better than that. Make sense? I mean, look who you are. You're saved, but saved for something, to be good to other people, okay? And all that is, you know, I'm still at the first line, which is, now the problem, of course, this is really good, um, the problem is how Christ can safely give us divine power to do God's work. So, I mean, it's great that somebody else identifies this. He basically says, you're really good people, but I'm having the same feeling about you that I had the first time I gave the car keys to my kid and watched him back out of the driveway by himself. You remember that feeling? The first time your kids backed out of the driveway themselves? Yeah. So that's kind of how Jesus feels about you. He's like, I'm going to give you this thing, and you know who knows what you might do with it, right? My favorite, um, I, think, I think Pastor Nelson found this genius little, um, I left it upstairs on my desk. Two weeks ago, do you remember the margin comment where it said something like, most people, people's prayers are just stacking up their anxieties? Do you remember that? Wasn't that a great one-liner? Most people's prayers, you're stacking up, you're stacking up. I mean, stacking up your anxieties, you don't need prayer for that. You can do that at the grocery store. Anybody can complain. You know, anybody can stack up. That's not prayer. So the question is, you know, what is your prayer? You know, what does prayer mean? And, um, you know, it's easy to get it wrong. In fact, his next point there, the potential abuse of power like magic for self-promotion and damage to others. Anything can go wrong. You know, so you can say prayers and... uh, you know, it just can go wrong so quickly when you only pray about yourself, when you only stack up anxieties, when you pray against other people, you know, which is a very dangerous thing to do, very dangerous to pray against other people. For one, you've got to be so sure that you're right. You know, even to pray against yourself, that may be less dangerous. Oh, good. Say some more. Yes, right. Good. Yes. Perfect, yes. And sometimes we feel like that. And let me just, now let me just take two sides of that. Um, One time, sometimes he says, you know, strike them down because they're your enemies. Sometimes he says, strike them down because they're my enemies, right? Um, Which always, that's always a little nerve-wracking for me, right? Um, So, hold that, that's very important. So, the military reference in the Psalms, where you're giving God some advice, We're going to get to that by the end of this sheet, how you can give God some advice and whether that's a safe thing to do. The answer just ahead will be, yes, you do get to give him some advice, but you're going to have to be a pretty good advisor if you're going to think to advise the Lord on what to do. He still gets to decide. decide. In fact, let me just tell you one other thing. I didn't actually write this down anyplace, but um, we were driving back and forth, and one of the things that uh, John told me a story, uh, which I didn't know, He's an Old Testament guy, so you get this Old Testament perspective. But just to your point, he 
he said in the old he said in the ancient world um, you had the right to appeal to Caesar but once you appealed to Caesar and made your case it was no longer your case so you no longer had a choice about it so you think about you remember Paul in Acts where he appeals to Rome and just before that, there's a hearing. Before he leaves Israel, there's a hearing with the local guy. And the local guy says, you're innocent. But he said, you've appealed to Rome. I can't stop this. And he ends up going to Rome and being killed. Right? Because the process, I mean, there's an, a New Testament example of this process. Well, here's the interesting thing. So I'm just going to put this in just as an aside with your own worries, whatever you might be worried about today. When you come to the Lord and you give him something as king, okay? So you say, here's what's really bugging me. When you give that to him, it's not yours anymore. It's not your trouble. It's not your issue. It's not your offense. It's not your decision. It's not your action. And it's not yours to think about anymore. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely right. And, 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 and diminishing whatever lordship you think you might have. So you acknowledge his lordship, which is he's going to work it out and you need to get good with it. And you need to get good with it. I need to get good with it because we decided to appeal to the king, right? So I think that's all behind the psalm thing. And I never knew that. That was a very interesting, I mean, I knew all the structure, but I didn't, I I just had had gotten past me. This is why, you know, smart guys help you. It had gotten past me the notion that it actually no longer belongs to you. It's not your problem. So if you pray to Jesus about that, it's no longer your problem. You pray about your kids, you pray about your church, you pray about your job, you pray about whatever's bugging you. It's not your problem anymore. It's what? God box. Gotcha. It's not yours anymore. That's very well done then. Yeah, if you take it back, you see. I mean, the same thing worked with sins. This whole thing about Jesus takes away your sins and they can only hurt you if you take them back. You know, you're right. If you take them back, you're not only an idiot, you're also kind of vile. You're breaking the rules, right? Exactly, you're digging through the garbage. Exactly, well said. Yes, please. That's, yeah, see, that's, that's, is it, that's really interesting, isn't it? Well, I don't know, because the thing is, is you pray, you get to pray without ceasing and make your request known to God. We could probably think of some counter-argument. Hold that, because we might have an answer back here. Go ahead. And in Christ, you have no enemies, right? And that's hard. It's very hard. No, you're right, exactly. So I'm just pushing your thought all the way out. So if you push your thought all the way out, which is who am I to decide, there's even a stronger way to say, if Jesus doesn't have any enemies, that is, he goes to the cross for everybody and lets them do what they do to him. If he doesn't have enemies, so... So the devil is the enemy. Thank you. Right. 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 You want to pray for... You want to pray against all things evil, against all things demonic, and you pray for all things good. But that wasn't your decision because that's very objective, right, about what's good and what's evil. And praying against human beings, I mean, really, if we start to pray against everybody who's evil, you've got to pray against everybody gathered here. Yeah, because you have a very false sense of what yourself is, of who you are, right? So you do, and that's a hard thing to learn, to pray against the evil in yourself. 
that's a hard thing to learn because we kind of like some of the stuff that we do, right? There's some dark things that we do and we kind of like them, bad habits that we want to give up. But let's, I, I want to come back to this. This is a very interesting thing because, um, well, I just, I just, maybe I should let you answer. What would you, so there's this very, so let's set it against the historical thing. Once you pray to God, it's not yours to worry about anymore. It's his thing, not your thing. And then the question is, you wake up the next day and it's still there. You have trouble, you're sick, the person at work, your kid, your family. So what do you, what do, you do with that? What do you, how do you fit this together? Thank you very much. It's always the most fun when you can make the things rub against each other because then there's some... So practically, it is true. We're very, it's very rare. It's very hard to do that. Yes, you can, you can do it over again. So if it reappears somehow, however it might reappear, right. So this is very good practical advice. You asked a different question, but it's still very good practical <laughs> advice. So the practical thing is if it does reappear... And things do reappear, right? I'm, and so sometimes your prayers are for you more than they're for the Lord. In fact, I would suggest to you that almost all your prayers are really more about you than they are about the Lord. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Because he doesn't need them like we do. Right. He remembers, and your memory is, you know. Very bad. Nothing personal, but, you know. <laughs> I expect you to be slouching around my house with a little drool at some point, you know. So, you know, that's going to happen. And is that wrong? Is that bad? I mean, we're doing things. Pray without ceasing, for example. Yes, right, yeah. When you pray, pray like this. No, okay, well, we have to, no, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's exactly right. The question is how we're going to hold those together. So how these things kind of, you don't always want to make the edges neat in Scripture. Sometimes things bang against each other and we don't quite get it. But I don't know that we're there yet. So let's see if we can keep pushing. Let me go this way and come back around. Can I? Go ahead. Yes, there is. Right. So you can just wear him down and get your way at some point. (laughs) Nag him. It does sound terrible. Well, there is, a, there is the punchline to that, um, so you can nuance that story a little bit. Do you remember what the punchline for the story is? What is Jesus, when Jesus explains the story, what does he say about that? He says, if, he sort of makes a comparison. What's, he, what's the comparison? Does anybody remember what the comparison is? is? He says, if, uh, oh no, sorry, that's a little bit farther down. Back. Yes, he says, if an unjust Remember how the story set up? Here was a man who fears neither God nor man. So he's basically utterly self-interested. He's just trying to move through life, and he doesn't want to be bothered. And then the... the well, yes. And you nag, she nag, 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 nag. He basically says, I fear neither God nor man, but she's wearing me out. And then the, but Jesus sort of changes the tone of the story by saying, if a guy who's only interested in himself is like this, how much more your Heavenly Father who loves you... So you, basically, the, the kind of the point of the story is, is you actually won't have to nag this much. You're going to get a much quicker response. Human beings who are horrible will give you a response. Your Heavenly Father, who's the opposite of horrible, will be right there to love you up. 
So it's not exactly nagging, although you're right, nagging is the, is the, that is the point, that's where he starts, you know, he uses that example. Go ahead. Yes. Which one, they're bo- those are both right. Which one do you want to chatter about? Right. There's, I'm running, I think next week there's going to be a margin comment from the small catechism where, do you, do you ever, do you know all these places where you always see baseball players doing this and you see people making the sign of the cross and the people always make fun of it? And we always say, we, I was always brought up to say that was a bad practice and kind of mocking. I'm actually running a quote from the large catechism from Luther next week where he says, you should teach your kids to do that. Every time they see a blessing, they should say, God be praised. Or they should say, if they see a horrible thing, they'll say, thank God God's in the world. He's like, you know this whole thing that all your Catholic friends did when they're always crossing themselves every time something goes wrong? Luther actually says you should teach your kids to do that. I'm running the quote next thing. I have kind of forgotten this, or, you know, it's the kind of thing you read over. I was like, very weird. But his point is, when they do that, if you do it reflexively, you always remember that the presence of God is there. It's very interesting. I mean, if somebody was going to throw a ball at my head 100 miles an hour, I'd say, okay, here we go, right? I mean, it kind of makes some sense in a way, right? It does make some sense. Yes, exactly right. It's very painful. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We normally do. And, and, and who knows what people are saying? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, you, you, but, but you read it and see what you think. And it's, I mean, there it is. It's large catechism Luther stuff. Go ahead. Right. Right. That would be a nice way out. So one would have to say, so we say, how do we sin? The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, right? So um, there's a range of ways the world can remind you of your troubles. Certainly Satan can give things back to you. In fact, that's the primary, um, this is another John Kleinick thing, but the primary way that he gets to you is to say, this is in his book, Grace Upon Grace, the primary way that he gets to you says, look at yourself, God couldn't possibly love you, right? Look at yourself, look who you are, look what you do. God couldn't possibly love you. Uh, the, and so that's the notion is, you know that uh, the, the ancient name for Satan in the Old Testament comes from the guy in the, who worked for the postal service who used to try to um, trick people into doing dishonest things. He was the postal inspector. So he basically would sort of attempt to bribe you. You know, he'd try to get you to cut a corner, which is exactly what Satan does. I mean, he sort of says, wouldn't it be better if you, or you can't really believe that, or that's really not the best way, or you're, right? So that's one way that this could fit together. So this, you let the Lord have it. It can reappear, and here's the thing, it can reappear not of your own doing. How do you know that, so I'll I'll ask you a question, is temptation a sin? Is temptation a sin? It can't be, and then it also can be. So the answer is, for Jesus, it wasn't a temptation, because his were holy. So it wasn't the devil, the world, and our flesh for Jesus. It was just the devil in the world. But for us, temptation can be. My, I can have temptations that are sinful because I generate them. I can also have temptations that are not sinful because I don't generate them. So, you know, if you say to her, let's go do something naughty, which is what one of Kirby's she had, she when she taught Sunday school in Cambridge, she said to the kid. It wasn't it a pastor's kids who said this. You said to the kids. Yes, right. We have the whole day off. What should we do? Let's do something naughty. <laughs> so there you go, out of the mouths of babes. 
you know, what are you going to do? Yes, please. Yes, right. Absolutely. Right. And that's a different prayer now. Yes, you've shifted a little bit. So another answer is it's the, is the possibility of shifting. I mean, one is, so one reason you can pray again about a thing is um, it reappeared through no fault of your own. So the devil takes it out of the box and gives it back to you. Another reason you can pray is you have to confess theft. You gave it to him and you took it back, right? So that would be you. So there's another reason why you might pray about it. Another reason is you slightly bump the prayer and shift it which is to say, I know you're doing your bit, but I'm struggling with my bit, so I need a bit of strength here. And that actually is actually a more common um, kind of from the heart uh, spiritual discipline sort of prayer, which is, I did this and I struggle with it. And classically, you know, if Lutheranism ever gets to the point where you actually do what the Lutheran confessions say and have confessors and spiritual fathers and stuff, that's a classic thing for confession. You go to somebody and you say, I did this, and it still bothers me. And your confessor says, okay, leave that here, and I'll take care of it. Now you go away. I mean, my goal is, people who are coming to confession now, my, my primary goal is to make you laugh by the end of confession. That's my primary goal, which would be, you know. So you, you, the reason you have somebody is you say, I did this again. They say, well, you're forgiven. Now leave that here. And you came, I took it back. And so there are all sorts of disciplines and ways that you get around that, right? But if you keep sinning, you got to keep confessing. And you've got to keep praying. And there is a sin in worry. Worry is a sin. It's a doubt that the Lord will do his best for you. So the Lord, I, was, I pondered this at the Our Father point. To say Our Father means, I mean, how does the catechism begin? We have a gracious Heavenly Father. You actually don't need to know too much more than that, which means he always thinks about your good. So all the stuff you're worried about denies the Our Father. It denies the fact that you would say... God is gracious to me and loves me the way he cares for me, the way a father would care for me, right? I mean, think of your best father, your best image of the father. He would do everything for you, right? Anything for you. And when we worry, when we doubt, we're saying, actually, no, you wouldn't. You're actually sort of telling God he's a liar. We need to confess that, right? So there's a second commandment and a first commandment sin there in the way that stealing something back is a first commandment and seventh commandment sin. Don't steal, I stole that back. It doesn't have to be a physical thing, right? Don't worry. Uh, yeah, I really worry. Why? Because God's not reliable. Mary, and then I'll come to you. Yeah, if you end up on the mercy side, you're going to be a lot better off there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember one time I was in my notes. Yes, you're right. Faith agrees with God. So if God's not jumping up. Now, you might want to fuzzy that up just a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> well, no, I, you don't want to leave it alone, but to, if you to say to somebody it's a sin to worry, it doesn't really help them that much. It just puts them under judgment. Yeah. Um, uh, but you, so you need that. Um, you know, we often confuse, so we shouldn't confuse um, the law with either volume, loudness, or quantity. It t- and it takes just a very little bit of law, especially for people who are already worrying about the fact that they worry. So um, you can say something as gentle as, well, it doesn't seem very helpful to worry. Yeah. And that, doesn't, that, sort of, that sort of suggests that God doesn't care about you. I mean, that's, to say that is the law. You know, that's, that's actually another way of, you, know, you bring point, the law only brings you to the point of recognition and despair, right? Mm-hmm. 
what she really needs to say is, you know, God's gracious and he's looking out for you. And what was really interesting across the course of all that you said was you could sort of parse everything you said by the Ten Commandments. So you can't wish for another person's death. That breaks Mm -hmm. the first commandment because only God gets to decide. Mm -hmm. However, as Mary Lou pointed out, there are some psalms that speak that way. Why do they speak that way? It's only in agreement with God where there's some judgment that you can sort of do that with any sort of confidence. Because if you do it without that confidence, then you're deciding that you have enemies. But then Penny was saying, we don't have any enemies. She kind of worked us all the way to that point. And then with Pastor Gainey bringing you to faithfulness is agreeing with God. So if the Lord loves your brother, then you love your brother. And so you can see how that whole thing, you had this back and forth of, which was very good of kind of law and gospel, law and gospel, law and gospel, judgment and mercy. The good thing was that you passed go, collected $200, and ended up on the mercy space which is not easy to do. Yeah, so, um, all right, next thing. Yes, please, you were next. That's right, I couldn't remember where we were. Okay, good. We'll put in a good word for worry. This ought to be excellent. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. Worry usually has, so if you define, everything means how you, what you define it as. If you define worry as sort of looking at more than, you know, looking at a plan B, I guess, you know, then we could. But usually it's, we think of worry as being debilitating, actually, in some ways, or rather than, sorry. Well, I would, I would go with wisdom. That's a better W word. Yes, it is, right. So I take all that you say, I might put a different tag on it. I, I prefer wisdom to that, or sort of, foresight or reality or yes I take the point I take the point yes 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 right people who never have a plan B I mean there is this famous thing of you know I don't have a plan B because it gets in the way of plan A I mean that is one way to live your life it's kind of the all or nothing way a more reasonable way is that you sort of have a couple of possibilities I just sort of hear what you're saying against the um, backdrop of somebody who lived in Africa for a while yeah, you know, so there's, yes, right there, it's contingency plans seem to actually mean something more. Go ahead. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Yep. Well, we used, that was an old Missouri Senate thing. There's a famous case in the Missouri Senate where a farmer was excommunicated for having lightning rods on his barn. Oh, yeah, that's actually a true story. This is a hundred years. Actually, how did how did well, how did AAL and um, Lutheran Brotherhood get started? They got started at exactly the point where Lutherans switched their theology. This is true, and and decided you could have insurance. And then a couple of bright Lutherans said, "Hey, we can fill that void." And suddenly you have. I mean, think about it. If you're like, if you're a exactly, you're a if you're a if you're a Lutheran, and suddenly the you know from the voices from on high, whatever Lutheran papal papacy we have says it's no longer a sin to have insurance. You're like my people, you know, come to me. I'll charge you four percent, and you know, ah, you're a captive audience. So. Um, Yes, under under certain tax laws. Yeah, but and then AAL becomes a fourth sacrament, and then people, then people, AAL just say to me, "Well, you have to have our napkins." And then the guys who are selling other insurance say to me, "Why do you have this napkin?" Yeah, I know that I am. I, I'm saying exactly what I said to the other reps. You have to explain it to the other twelve insurance guys in the congregation how you got the leg in. Go ahead. That's interesting. 
which means, so there's a difference between worry and stewardship. Thank you. Like kids, for example, or, uh, or a vocation in the church, in, in your case. You know, one of the things you're given is the vocation, your, your vocation in the church, right? Translate, right? And you have to take care of that vocation. And it doesn't help. You can't translate a lot if you're dead, right? So you have to make some... Content- no, this, I'm, being, I'm being very honest with you, right? I mean, the place where you've been, how many times has it been in your... In the time, in your history, how many times has the government been overthrown? Right, exactly. Read it only one time in Ivory Coast. Yeah, but we've had but you've, but Coast, say that again, the last thing? Ivory Coast when there were other troubles. I got you. Yes, right. Right, right. Yes. I can't think of any. It just take, it takes all the fun out of life as well. It just it, it take, and it takes energy from other things you could be doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can only. I mean, you have to. You're right. You have to push some to get all the way to that. Oh, it is. That is exactly it. You can, that's exactly right. Yeah, right. Actually, this has been a very sophisticated conversation. That has come up. That same impulse has been expressed three or four different times here, which is very interesting that we sort of disguise our sinfulness. We disguise it as, as being a good Christian. Yes, you disguise what's actually... But one of the helpful things has been how how quickly you've been able to kind of recognize it for what it is. So that shows a fair bit of theological sophistication in the group. Because what what happens normally is people dig in and they defend their worry, for example, as stewardship or as good parenting, as love, as... Standing on this as a mom, or you, yours could be standing on the standing for justice and what's right, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you see how easy it is, though, to be. We can start to defend. Well, no, I, I've actually. It's more. You know what's encouraging for me is you fix yourselves. You've been. You've done a pretty good job of kind of fixing. As the, if you just watched what happened in the conversation, you've kind of fixed each other, which is really good. And this is not far off the one line of this thing that we've done today, which is um, <laughs> how, 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 how do you keep your prayers? Did Pastor Nelson not let you talk a lot? You had a lot of words kind of built up that just all had to come out. They just had to come out today, which is okay. It's, yes, it's the, you know what? It's actually good. It, in some ways, you know, this is a very positive day. For this reason, that you can sort of, but but this this showed some particular particular skill in how the conversation has gone. So here's what I just observe standing here, is that you are you've able to be very honest, 
and you've been able to sort of confess things and not hold on to them, and you've been able to hear other people say, that really might not be so positive. But it was said in such a gentle way, which is, and maybe we could sort of bump each other back on the road, and where there are things that we can't quite get resolved, we're going to kind of live with that. That's very, just so you know, that's very theologically sophisticated kind of conversation. It's very helpful. So that's, that's actually, your group is a good group for that. Does that make sense? I mean, you've said a lot of very personal things without anybody sort of getting in a huff and whispering about each other, which is, you know, can be church behavior. Yes. But you see, that should be a great impulse then for you to be as kind as possible and to draw people in. Because you sort of, it's a very interesting progression. So let me just observe a couple things. One is, um, again, Nagel, um, in such a circumstance it's proper to rail at God, he can take it. That's what, that was sort of the answer. And the, the, the real truth of being broken, and death is one of the things that breaks us, but sickness can break us, chronic illness, you know, our kids going off. There's a lot of things that can break us. You've all known people who have gotten bitter and have taken it out on everybody around them, right? And you can almost walk into a room and you can see the aura kind of push people out, you know, and they're all, because people are chronically dark, chronically bitter, chronically angry, chronically lashing out on people, even if they do it in a very sophisticated, calm sort of way, right? So the interesting thing there is, so a couple things to observe. One is, it's very good to rail at God. He can take it. Um, Now, hear this in the right way, and you'll have to say this maybe ten times, or maybe not because you've been in the faith a long time. But when you prayed for your grandmother to get better, she actually got better. (laughs) Right. I didn't want to go to the Harlan thing because that's a little, I just wanted to see how you do with your grandmother, and then we'll kind of move on, you see. But our death is our ultimate healing, right? I mean, it's very hard even, you know, now, today, with Harlan, all these years. It's very, absolutely, it's very hard. Ten years later, even, it's very difficult to say. And I I have, I can tell you, I've had, um, there are people in the congregation who I've said this exact thing to. And someday you'll say it to me, because it'll be my wife, my kids, it'll be my somebody. Um... It's very hard to swallow that, but you actually, you get to the point which you've said, which is, the last 40 hours you let go, which is now faith agrees. So the Lord says, this is better, and then you say, this is better. Now, now let's just go all the way back to the front of the conversation, which was, so you let, <coughs> you pray to God about Harlan, he gets to decide, you drop it off in the bag, box, place, court, is the biblical image, and then it's not yours to decide about. And faith then says what the Lord chose to do with that, I'm good with. And the consolation is it happened within the church. And then the last thing is, is this is your sort of missionary impulse now. And this is why it's incredibly important for you to live. You don't live without rage. You don't live without the recognition of enemies. And all the things we've talked about that are wrong, we don't say <coughs> that doesn't happen. That, in fact, does happen. The question is, when it happens, what do we do with it? And now it's the best you see is you get pulled all the way out to the end where you're kind, happy, speak well of people, belong to a group like this that supports you, and now those other people, you want to draw them into a life that is kind, happy, forgiving, sophisticated, can tell the difference between law and gospel, 
can tell the difference between justification and sanctification, can be drawn into a group like this when maybe before they were never in any group like this, can be loved in spite of themselves. That's what makes the church work. <coughs> this isn't a mystery, but it is difficult. And that's why so many churches fail, because churches can't learn to do this. We don't deal with pain well. We don't deal with conflict well. We don't deal with sin well. And yet here it is right in front of us, right? This whole last hour. So the, the, what the really good thing about this conversation is, you actually have learned over the years how to deal with this. With you know your own sinfulness, with death, with trouble, with chronic things. You've learned to deal with this. And you who are younger, all of you, uh, you who are younger are very fortunate to have this early in your life. And so here's the thing. When we're all dead, when anybody my age and older are dead, you'll have the chance to have a church that's better than the church now. And that's your job. Your job is to bring it in now. This is your job. Your job is to learn it now. And when it's you 10 years or 20 years from now, your job is to make it even better. Just like, you know, you all weren't where you were 20 years ago, right? And now, so this is part of your job. Your job is to grow up and be even better than this group, which is a nice job. So churches normally, you know, do this. But what it's meant to do is do this. It's, it's meant to trend upward despite the troubles. That's what it's meant to do. I just want to come back to your one question and ask whether we got a satisfactory answer about can you bring things back again. Did we get all the way to the end of that? Oh, I think What I didn't want to do is kill the impulse of, of praying about things again. Right. And I think, that, I think that things take a different character um, it's one thing to say to the Lord, this is really a trouble, could you please work on this, and to say that that's yours. It's quite legitimate to come back the next day and say, hey, are you still working on that? Because I was just wondering if you were still working on that. <laughs> I think that's a very legitimate way to engage, and it reminds him and it reminds you. Sure, yeah. Right, exactly. But I can liken it also to And inadvertently, this is the last thing, and then we'll go. Inadvertently, um, or not intentionally, we started with a very narrow def- definition of prayer, as if the only thing to talk about in our prayers were the things that are troubling us, right? So we spent the whole time talking about things that trouble us, and that's important because we did a very good job of working through that. But, of course, prayer is much richer than that, of course, right? We remember who God is. It makes him very happy that we're in communication, like it makes you happy when your daughter called late even though it keeps you up all night. He likes to hear from us. He encourages us. He knows it's good for us. You know, There's all these other things that are happening when we pray. So there's more to prayer than just, although it's very helpful to have this kind of conversation so that we get our troubles in perspective and know how to deal with them. But um, there'll be more to it, including kind of the rest of the stuff on this sheet, because most of this sheet is about actually praying for other people. The, the joy that God has when you intercede for and pray for other people. So I tell you what, take the sheet. We'll work on this next week, maybe or maybe not, you know, depending. Because it's fine. Actually, here's the thing. You have to, if you, I don't see this as a diversion. I actually see this as you sort of solidifying in your own life the practical stuff that the Bible teaches. And one of the other positive things there is how much actually biblical knowledge you have that you can sort of pull out of your Everything from the lady that nags to, you know, how do we, that we don't have any enemies. You know, it's, it was a big to, to, what about those psalms? So read through this. Um, we'll, we'll sort of take a look at it. But it is next week, maybe. It'll be a little bit more about 
how you care for other people and how you even pray for people when they can't pray. How do you do that? It's very interesting stuff. So, okay, good? All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.